This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello, and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Go to insidetracker.com slash age to save 20% on all their products. Get yourself a dashboard to your inner health. Welcome to episode 90 of the SuperAge podcast. This will be dropping on July the 6th, 2022. So I hope everyone, at least in America, had a wonderful 4th of July holiday. Um, you know, flags and parades and fireworks and a lot of food and friends and family and connecting to other humans. And that's a great thing. So any kind of celebration, you can count me in. As I wrote last week in the newsletter, the older I get, the more celebratory I become. And this was a pretty fun one. They did a crazy thing here where they had a swarm of drones. I mean, did anybody else experience this on the 4th of July? Where um, the local municipality here, in addition to fireworks, they hired some company to do a swarm of drones. And by swarm, I mean hundreds of them. And they each had lights on them. And they could move them around into these patterns. They would fly around. And I just thought, wow, that's kind of awesome. I don't know. Anybody else see that? (laughs) Maybe give us a shout. Let me know. Um, Which is a good thing to transition to. We have our Google call-in number, which is 801-871-5291. If you have any thoughts on, you know, drone drone swarms or anything else that you'd like to talk about, um, give us a shout. And we're going to get with um, a caller's call-in in just a second. This week on the show, we have Karina Belize. And we're going to be talking about omega-3s. And omega-3s are a certain essential fat in our diet. And she has worked in this space for over a decade. She knows a lot about it, where it comes from, what they're good for, things to look out for. Um, I Personally, I take a lot of them every day because I find they're essential for brain health. And that's something I'm pretty big on. So we're going to talk to Karina in just a second and dive deep into that. Um, But first, um, we're going to go to a a call-in that we had. And again, that number is 801-871-5291. If anything comes up on the podcast today with Karina, there's a lot of science that we're going to be talking about. Any questions about um, any of it, just give us a shout. Um, But if you're feeling shy, you can also text us on that number. Um, or, of course, email works really well. David, superage.com. Happy to answer any questions you've got. So we're going to go with this call-in number right now, see what this is, and see if I can answer the question. Uh, David, hi. Uh, my name's Robert, and I've been reading this book, A Younger Next Year, that uh, you recommended. And, um, you know, it's great. There's a lot of very scientific stuff about heart rate and uh, um you know, a hit training and that kind of thing. But there's something I find really simple is he describes uh, Crowley, I guess, I, they're co-authors. He describes the, the ancient rhythm of um, hunter-gatherer societies and how our bodies have for 
you know, tens of thousands of years been acclimated to this kind of activity. And I find it really easy for me to do fast walks. Okay, now I'm gathering. Now I'm gathering. And I'll go with my dog and I'll walk a couple of miles. Now I'm hunting and I'll sprint a little bit. Um, and, and that's kind of how I do it. I really reduce it to very simple terms. Am I doing this right? Um, and is this enough? And, and can you explain the benefits of this and, and, uh, just clarify a little bit for me? Thanks. Hey, Robert, that's great. First of all, I'm really glad you're out there getting some movement in. That's tremendous. And remember, any movement is better than no movement. So whatever I say, um, please take that advice to heart. Anything you do is better than doing nothing. That book that you mentioned, Younger Next Year, is one of my favorite books. It's really funny. It's well-written. It's easy to understand. It was written by a couple of guys, I want to say about 20 years ago. And the science has changed a little bit, but it's pretty much right on. And they have a new version, I believe, for women. Now, what you're describing there is what they call sort of the, the two modes of ancient human activity. And there's gathering mode, which is sort of fast walking. Um, and we'll, we're going to call that zone two aerobic activity. And then there's the hunting part where you're like hunting and chasing something. And that would be more like hit training. Now, you can do exactly what you're doing. You can go out with your dog and, and walk a couple of miles. And that's great. But one of the other things they talk a lot about in that book is using a heart rate monitor. Now, it's, you know, this is the Super Age podcast, and we're big on measuring things. We're really big on metrics. So using a heart rate monitor, and the type that they recommend is one around the chest. So Polar makes one, other ones make one. You know, an Apple Watch, um, these other sort of optical ones, they're okay. They're not that great when you really get your heart up, though. So they, they sort of lose the plot. The ones that work around the chest are much better. They're, um, they work on electrical impulses from your heart. So back to your question. Um, I think that what you're doing is great. I would really encourage you, though, to get a heart rate monitor because there's walking and then there's walking. And what are we talking about here? So what we want to know is what's the effect of the walking on your heart? How much strain are you putting on your body and for how long are you doing it? So zone two, and I'm just going to take a guess here. I'm going to guess that you're 60. So depending on the formula that you use, the simple one is 220 by your, minus your age. So that would give you a maximum heart rate of about 60 or what, 160. The, um, the other one is a little more complicated. It's uh, 208 minus 70% of your age gives you maximum heart rate, which that would be like 166. So that's an important metric to know. And it really, the only way to really know what your max heart rate is is to cause your heart rate to go to its maximum, which means essentially run as hard as you can for about 10 minutes and see what that is. Um, that's unpleasant, though. So you can just use the formula if you want. Um, so zone two, which is what they're talking about, is aerobic threshold training. And you want to be between 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate during that time. So for you, and we're just going to keep this simple. So for you, you, it's somewhere between like 96 and 115, you know, give or take five beats. So that's the threshold of your, um, your aerobic zone. And once you go over that, you're going to start to get an anaerobic component of what you're doing. And if, you know, and I believe this is true. They, there's a lot of emphasis in that book on aerobic training and the reason for aerobic training and aerobic training underlies really all of fitness. 
Um, there are very few activities in the world that do not require an aerobic component. Like unless you're like a shot putter or a power lifter or somebody who's, you know, maybe you're running like a hundred yard dash. Every, pretty much everything else you can do in the world, um, skiing, walking, you know, anything else you do, it's, it's, it's mostly aerobics. So aero- training in an aerobic zone will build up your vascularity, which is really great. It means that you're building up your capillaries, not only in your body, but it's in your brain. You're building up the elasticity of these things. You're training your entire body, your metabolism to work more efficiently. So that's why um, this zone two aerobic training is really important. But you only get into that zone. You only know you're in that zone for real if you have a heart rate monitor. And it's not something that you can do for 10 minutes. Like you should be doing zone two really for, that should be like the majority of your exercise activity. So maybe that's 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. Um, That's what I would say. So unless you're walking your dog really fast up a hill, which is possible, you may not even be entering that zone. But again, any movement is better than no movement. Now, the other part of your question was, the you know you sprint for a little bit so that's great <clears throat> but you need to be able to get that heart rate up more into the sort of 80 to 90 maybe close to 100% of your max you maybe don't go to 100 but somewhere up there so for you you want to be up like your heart rate somewhere like 145 to say 150 or so 155 <clears throat> and you need to have it there for you know not forever maybe like 20 seconds 30 seconds and then let it come come back down. And if you do repeats of that, that's HIT training. So that's high intensive, intensive interval training. And the key to that is you want to be able to let that heart rate come back down so you're in your aerobic threshold again and keep it there for maybe, you know, 30 seconds or something and then do another round um, rather than just doing it once. Some people do advocate once a week full VO max. So VO max is your maximum oxygen intake. Doing that maybe once a week, um, just for short periods of time, you know, like 45 seconds or a minute. And that's full out as fast as you can go, maximum heart rate for like a minute once a week. And that will help condition your lung capacity, like how much oxygen, how much output can you do? So those are sort of the two sides of what people would call cardio training. Um, the aerobic and the anaerobic, which would be HIIT training. And that's sort of what they're talking about in the the gathering and the hunting in that book. Again, you only really know what you're doing if you can monitor it. So um, see if you get yourself a heart rate monitor. Um, you don't have to spend a lot of money on their, you know, they're fairly inexpensive these days, but it's a crucial instrument to really understand what you're doing here. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. Just as a car has a dashboard so you can tell how fast you're going and how much gas you have, you need a dashboard for your inner health. You need to know what's going on inside your body if you're going to optimize it. And just like I recommended to Robert, he needs a heart rate monitor to know how fast he's going, how much strain he's putting on his body, how much training benefit he's actually getting. You need some way to monitor what's going on inside your body. And then once you know what's going on inside your body, you need some way to help optimize that. And this is what I get from Inside Tracker. 
with their 43 biomarkers that they're testing, along with the genetics that they test me for, I know what I should be eating to really optimize where I want to be. And I get to choose that target of where I want to be. Am I working on brain health? Am I working on longevity? Is there something with my fitness that I'm interested in optimizing? The app will make recommendations personalized to me based on my blood work and my genetics. And that's something that I just think is invaluable. Um, It's not a replacement for seeing my doctor. It's not a replacement for any of the other professionals in my life. It is an additive, but it is an additive that is with me every day, all day. And I can consult it and I can see what should I be doing right now. And then I can test again and see what changes have happened. If you go to insidetracker.com slash ageist, you'll save 20% on all their products. Hey, Karina, how are you today? I'm doing great. Beautiful day here in Santa Cruz County. Santa Cruz. Oh my gosh. You go surfing? (laughs) I don't surf. How can you live in Santa Cruz and not surf? (laughs) Well, I'm a scuba diver. So I think you choose your water sport. But some in my community do both surfing and scuba because then they could just choose their sport based on the conditions of the day. Have you been scuba diving out by those? um, What are those islands out there? Um, The Channel Islands? The Channel Islands. Yeah. With all like the kelp forest and stuff. Yes. I mean, I'm in the Monterey Bay area, so I do the Monterey Bay from shore dive perspective, but I've actually gone on these adventures where we do like a five-day live aboard boat dive. And we did one in the Channel Islands that was really incredible and even dove. I think it was called San Miguel, the island, which they very very rarely are able to dive there because the conditions can turn so bad so quickly. Yeah. Intense currents. Yes. I thought I was going to be swept to sea on the ascent. They had to send their skiff out after us. We had our oh, no. noodles inflated. It was a momentary. Um, wow. I don't think I've ever been so scared in that moment, but still beautiful. Absolutely. I, I, I just know I've, I've been kayaking out there and the sea life. It's like I haven't. It's the marine version of the Serengeti. Like it's, it's just incredible. The, the sea leopards and the sharks and the this and the that. It's just dense with critters out there yeah, yeah garibaldi cool. these bright orange like impossibly orange fish that's a california state fish they're out there there's a uh, wait wait there's a california state fish yeah the garibaldi it's i had no idea an orange fish about I know, the size of if you were to make a globe with your two hands it's about that yeah. big and um bright orange kind of flat from the side and it looks oh. like it would live in a more tropical space than the the kelp forests but it's here and wow. it's one of my favorites so they have a few at the monterey bay aquarium if you go there you can see them from behind a glass wow another super cool place if anybody's ever goes to santa cruz go to the monterey bay aquarium it's like amazing mind-blown yeah. moments like you're totally. like wait this is what the underworld sea looks like <laughs> it's it's people who dive cold water like myself yeah. often yeah. feel disappointed when they dive warm water right because there's just not typically as much life. Right. When you're in a thriving coral reef, it's incredible. But yeah. so many of the coral reefs have now started to die, unfortunately. Mm. So um going somewhere like the Monterey Bay and seeing the kelp forests and just the live world around them, it's just incredible. Yeah. Agreed. Well, on to another topic. Let's talk about you. <laughs> um, tell me about your just give me an overview of your background. Well I, I like to call myself the hippie kid anthropologist turned businesswoman. 
<laughs> it, it kind of came by accident in a way. I, I graduated from UC Santa Cruz back in 1998. So, you know, not too young on my end, but um, I had my degree in anthropology and thought, I'm going to go be Indiana Jones. But I had college debt and wasn't independently wealthy. So getting that PhD in archaeology seemed like a far off pipe dream. I fell in love with the natural products industry, working in sales for an herbal extract manufacturer, and then ultimately thought I can do more good from this perspective. I can do more good by helping people build great nutritional products, bringing them to market, supporting people's health. And that led me into the world of omega-3s. And I just really have never looked back because ultimately, you when you uh, when you understand that omega-3s are involved in every single cell in your body, that they regulate all sorts of processes, that the vision of them being kind of a snake oil, snake oil or cure-all is there simply because they are involved in every single cell in your body. And so they can impact health on almost every level you could think of. And so when I really dug into the science, the nerd in me was a light. And so I ultimately have, have stuck in this industry and um, been working in the space of omega-3s for the better part of my career for more than 20 years now. And so let's talk about omega-3s and, and what is this? What does it do? Well, I mean, I think the basic way to explain it to people is that you know, if you consider every cell in your body, every single cell has a cellular lipid bilayer. It has a cell wall that helps you transmit nutrients, eliminate toxins, ultimately live as a healthy little individual contributor to your existence, right? And so that cell wall is made of important fats. They're made of omega-3s, omega-6s, EPA, and DHA, right? And so if you do not have healthy fats in your diet, you can't make the healthiest of cells, you won't be your healthiest. And if you're looking at the balance, you'll hear things like, oh, well, your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. In the West, we eat a lot of seed oils. We eat a lot of fried foods. Um, we add seed oils to things like the baked goods that we create. We add seed oils to all sorts of recipes that we work with. We even hydrogenate them by bubbling things like hydrogen and other chemicals and under really intense heat to make them turn solid at room temperature and then be more shelf-stable. More shelf-stable, less cell-stable is what I like to say, simply because when you think about it, if you're having to make your cells from solid fats, they're going to be less fluid, less flexible, less able to transmit nutrients, less able to eliminate toxins. And then you're going to have a system that is more unhealthy. So omega-3s are ultimately a health-contributing fat that helps your body return to its homeostasis. They need to be in balance with omega-6s because if they aren't, then you have inflammatory systems that run out of control. And so ultimately, you consume them in balance, try to avoid all the trans fats, limit your saturated fats, and you'll be a lot more healthy than the run-of-the-mill person. Um, so I'm, I'm really big on metrics and testing. Um, is there a, can I do a test for like what my omega-3 level is? Yeah. In fact, OmegaQuant, they have a blood spot test, which is Ooh. a simple prick of your finger. They send you a kit in the mail. I think they retail for around $50. So it's not incredibly expensive. Um, essentially, it's like a, a little, it looks like a a little plastic thing and you punch it on your finger and it injects like a little, a little needle into your 
finger and then you just squeeze a little blot, uh, a little blood onto this um, paper, absorbent paper. You send it to them, and in a few weeks you get your results. And what they do is they kind of rate you um, by countries of the world, like where is your omega three index, right? Where do you rate? And generally speaking, people who live in seafaring countries, coastal environments, tend to have higher levels of omega threes because they also tend to consume more fish. The Japanese are considered to be probably among the best in this arena. And so you'll see comparatively where you land. And then also what you might need to do to increase your omega-3s. So generally speaking, if you haven't taken an omega-3 supplement, you are likely deficient. And this is just you know, through the number of tests that they've done at Omega Quant, generally speaking, when consumers do not take an omega-3 supplement, they tend to be deficient. And then, or Rather, I think the FDA would prefer us say insufficient, consuming an insufficient amount of omega-3. And then they can go ahead and take an omega-3 over the course of a few months and then test themselves again. Generally speaking, Omega Quant would recommend something like two or three months later because it takes some time for your tissues to get in balance with enough omega-3s. You take the test again and see where you are. And ultimately, people tend to notice positive results from simply consuming a quality omega-3 supplement every single day. When they don't, unless they're consuming fish three times a week, they're likely not getting enough. It's really hard to get enough from eating walnuts and flax seeds and things along those lines. And walnuts and flax seeds and and that, are those omega-6s or 3s? So, you know, it's... If you're looking at plant sources, they tend to be both in balance. Uh-huh. They tend to have omega-6s and omega-3s. Even algae has some omega-6 to it and also omega-3s, right? Um, and this is kind of our clue that this is something we should consume in balance, right? So when you consume something like a um, walnut, you're getting a, a higher level of omega-3s in that walnut than you are of omega-6s. You're getting some saturated fats too, uh, but you're also getting other micronutrients, which are really, really good for you. I personally find I can never consume more than about a handful of walnuts. Like it just starts to taste bad to me after a while. So I I think there are some self-limiting things in these foods as well because of just how they're constructed. It's like it gives your body what it needs in certain ways, but you'd have to consume a whole heck of a lot of walnuts to get the amount of omega-3s that you would need on a daily basis. And they aren't in the direct form of EPA and DHA. EPA and DHA are the down-regulated metabolites of the fats that your body essentially needs in its cells. And so if you consume walnuts, if you consume flaxseed oil, what you're getting is alpha-linolenic acid, and then alpha-linolenic acid, or ALA, is in it has to be processed by your body with things called delta-6 and delta-5 desaturases. There's about five or six steps before you get to the EPA and DHA. And unfortunately, there's a lot of things that you consume that can impede your body's natural ability to actually do that. And so what generally is recommended when people are looking at omega-3s is that you consider a direct source of EPA and DHA. Well, guess what? Fish get their EPA and DHA from the algae they consume. So you don't necessarily need to go to the fish at all now that we have the technology to create very high quality supplements from algae. You can get the EPA and the DHA directly from them and you don't have to go to the fish at all. So it's kind of incredible, right? 
Um, let's talk about brains. Yeah, so, let's talk about um, brains. Uh, my understanding is my brain is um, has a lot of fat. Um, and we're fat heads. Yes, we're fat heads. We're total fat heads, which is great, <laughs> right? I want a fat brain. That's good. <laughs> and the the main fat there is DHA. Did I get that right? Half of the fat in our brain and eyes is DHA. Right. The other half is arachidonic acid, which is an omega-6. So you have the DHA, which is an omega-3, and arachidonic acid, which is an omega-6. We need both things for our brains to operate optimally, right? Arachidonic acid is present in plethora in animal meats and also mm-hmm. an omega-6 from plant sources as well. Right. So yeah. So it's probably the, the – it's not so much that we're not getting enough omega-6 – is that we're not getting we're not the getting enough. I mean, there's a reason that pregnant right. women are advised to take a DHA supplement every day of their pregnancy right. into breastfeeding. And hopefully they're also consuming that DHA before they become pregnant because our levels of omega-3s, as we talked about a little bit earlier, like Omega Quant will advise you to take omega-3s for three months before testing yourself again. That's because it takes a while for your tissue to uptake the DHA. So if you don't start taking that DHA or omega-3 supplement until you're already pregnant, you're behind the eight ball already. And this is one of the things that that some um, clinicians are starting to really believe may be connected to some postpartum depression issues and things Mm. along those lines, because EPA and DHA, these powerful omega-3s are so involved with our brain health. They're mm. so involved with our emotional health also. So there are even claims you can make around EPA with regard to impacting mood health. Yeah, I've and heard that. So this is just something that we need to be aware of, right? When people start to say, oh, gosh, I'm really feeling low energy. I feel depressed. I feel all these things. You look at their diet and you and try to ascertain what's missing. Often they're missing enough of the B vitamins, which impact their energy, their ability to make ATP energy. When you're low energy, you're more likely to feel depressed. Often they don't have enough omega-3s in their diet, and so they could benefit from increasing those. I mean, there's so many things that can be handled with nutrition and good sleep. And sometimes those two are very closely aligned too. They don't have the right Mm -hmm. nutrition. They're not getting quality sleep. They're not exercising enough. They're not exercising because they don't feel good. And they're in this vicious cycle of ultimately not feeling like they can be in control of their own health. And so it's my belief that by balancing your fats, like at the beginning, that this can actually help people jumpstart the clock. And it's something that I've seen in actuality too over the years, even when people started consuming an omega-3 after not having one in their diet, they're like, I can't put my finger on it. I just feel generally better. Mm -hmm. And this is something I see again and again and again. People in my personal life, through my professional work, um, in the clinical studies I've observed and been a part of, uh, the the positive side effect from just adding an omega-3, right, to your diet every day. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've I've read the studies about um, the, the low levels of, um, especially DHA and Alzheimer's and dementia. So, yeah. like, mean, that's real I'm, too. The correlation is there. Yeah, whether or yeah. not it's causal is left to be. You know, yeah. who's going to figure that out? But I'm not taking a chance. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm not taking my chances either. And no. so it's you know there are so many things that are you know negatively correlated with Alzheimer's right. that often are just pure deficiencies. Like you could say, okay, well, maybe the, you know, the RDI for this thing isn't established yet, but they did call this an essential fatty acid for a reason. And most doctors recommend that a 
a general consumer gets at least 250 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day. And if you have these other health conditions, they're generally going to increase that. The uh, GOED, which is the Global Organization for EPA and DHA, they really simplify it and say, you know, work to get 500 milligrams a day of EPA and DHA. Some of that comes from your diet, some of that from supplementation, right? They were hoping they would get an advisory from um, the FDA to actually augment or state that people needed a minimum of something like 250, 350, 500, something. But um, that hasn't yet been established. So we just keep chugging along and producing great products. Uh, An average Joe, if you're taking 250 milligrams of EPA and DHA a day, that's great. If you're getting it in the form that is more absorbable, like in a polar lipid form, that's even better. That's what we're working to produce with Orlo Nutrition. Um, we're going to get to polar lipids in a second. Um, yeah, I know. I, I jumped the gun, didn't I? Yeah, well, I, that's I, all right. It's all right. You're excited. I got it. Um, the Yeah. I mean, myself, I aim for about two grams of DHA a day. That's which a is lot. Like a, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's what um, I used to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I eat wild salmon and um, salmon roe and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's hard to get too much. Like your body doesn't tend to negatively impact you until I, I'll admit I had some some negative effects from consuming too much when I was very early in my days. Um, hmm. But that was, I, I just come on Nordic Naturals. I was leading the charge for their sales, marketing, and education. I spent so much time reading the research. I'm like, more is better, right? More is better. <laughs> And um, I think I consumed a couple of teaspoons of cod liver oil every morning, and then I'd also have more in the evening, and I'd take some pills, and I'd be at a trade show, and I'd be demonstrating it, and I'd show people how easy it was to take. You know, So I just was consuming probably closer to 10 grams a day of EPA and DHA. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, I started to bruise really easily, like a pair. Interesting. And so I had to walk it back. There was also a couple other things that happened. Um, one was that I shed some pounds pretty easily, like they just seemed to disappear. Um, and the other was that coffee started to taste terrible to me. Oh. And it wasn't just that it was tasting bad. It was like I, I would have my full cup and I would notice that I'd get through less and less of it. And scientifically, it makes sense because what happens when you consume a lot of omega-3 is your blood, though it doesn't get thinner, right? It doesn't get thinner, but all the platelets will become more slippery. And oh. if you have something like um, coffee, which is a vasodilator, right? right. Dilate all your blood vessels. And now your blood's super slippery and it's going through much quicker. I would get almost like a little lightheaded pseudo nausea wow. that would just kind of come over me. And as soon as I dialed back my omega-3s to a more reasonable level, uh, you know, everything returned to normal. And I wasn't bruising like a pear. And I didn't, if I cut myself shaving, I was bleeding a lot type thing. Even though it wasn't a platelet issue, right? It wasn't like I had a bleeding disorder. I just had consumed so much omega-3 <laughs> that my blood was like running through my for, you know, vessels. For like that. listening out there, this is, uh, <laughs> Karina's the first person I've ever heard of on the entire planet that consumes 10 grams of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was not the only wow. one at the company. I mean, there was some ev- evangelical perspective of omega threes, like Stuart. That's Tom like a third Curry. of one of those big. Bo- I mean, how that's like. I mean, I have like eight, eight, eight of those capsules. So you're taking. Oh, like, but you're taking like liquid 50. form. Liquid form, like Ooh. a teaspoon, is five capsules, right? Wow. Okay. And so, if you think about it that way, you're just getting through so much more, like so much more easily. Um, 
I had Stuart Tomp, who I worked to really uh, develop our educational platform with at Nordic Naturals. He's now over at CV Sciences as their head of human nutrition. And um, so he's working in the CBD world, right? He would mm-hmm. consume like a wine glass, like four ounces <laughs> of cod liver oil. I'm like, you know, at a certain point, more is not better. You need to no, stop. Everybody like, out there, don't do that. Dial it back. Like, <laughs> yeah, be reasonable. That. No, don't do that. Because <laughs> the reality is you can get too much. Too much yeah. of almost anything can be a bad thing. And so be reasonable, be balanced. You tend to follow, you know, the general recommendations you see on a label as opposed to self-medicating and just taking more and more and more because, you know, it can it can create problems if you get too much of anything. Um, and I, one of the things when you were uh, mentioning about um, uh, sort of country-based, stand, you know, um, averages for mm-hmm. – um, omega threes. The 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 main thing that catches my attention is the very high levels comparatively. Um, and so like I think it's about a factor of five in the average Japanese diet and the average American diet, and then the incidence of Alzheimer's and dementia in Japan versus here, which is also similarly like negative a factor of four or five. Yeah, and yeah. there's arguments like people worry in a way about the Japanese getting such high levels of heavy metals with the fish that they consume, right? Also a problem. They consume a lot of that, but there yeah. seems to be because a positive relationship between consuming omega threes and your brain health seems to be more powerful mm. than the toxicity that might come from the fish. That being said. I am just of a mind where I do not want to have all these excess toxins from the yeah. the animals I'm consuming. You know, fish oils are generally purified for a reason. They go through the process of molecularly distilling them to both concentrate the EPA and DHA so you can consume fewer pills and get more effect, but also to eliminate toxins including dioxins, furans, PCBs, heavy metals like uh, mercury and lead, arsenic, and more. Because all of these things have ended up in our waterways. And when they end up in our waterways, they end up in our oceans. And when they end up in our oceans, they end up in the bodies of fish. So, you know, it's getting to the point where it's increasingly problematic to just consume fish for your omega-3s. But this is also tied to the reality of microplastics in our oceans, the reality that most people are consuming a credit card's worth of plastic every week, which we don't really know the long-term effects of what that is going to be, but this is from food sources. It's from animal sources. It's also from the fact that even those microplastics can exist in the water that you're drinking. So it's a challenge that we look at. And when you're looking at trying to find a nutrition source that is going to be best for you and also best for the planet, it's, it's increasingly problematic to look to the ocean. Um, um, we could get yeah, into a long discussion on that, but you know, this is rooted in also my scuba diving and my passion personally and professionally. Um, I, I'm going to get to polar lipids in a, in a second here, but, um, for people who, I just want to say like, if you're going to take fish oil, do not cheap out. Oh, absolutely. Do, do not. Yes. There's just like, you're, um, there's a lot of bad stuff that can go yeah. in there. Um, if you're not getting it from a reputable company and if you want to like totally nerd out on what you're taking, I believe it's called the international 
fish oil standards or something like that. IFOS, like a, yes. Yeah, you can. fish oil standards. And so they have um, what they call five-star brands. And they, they mostly focus on fish oil and krill oil um, yeah. or other triglyceride-style products. And they they evaluate a product based on its purity, its freshness, and also its potency. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think a couple of other markers as well. But given that I'm working in the world of algae and polar lipids, they don't exactly do what we do. So um, that's a different thing. Yeah, it's a different thing. So let's talk about that. What um, what's a polar lipid? So a polar lipid is one that actually has both uh, a a a head that is um, fat soluble and water soluble, and they basically are like uh, the the inner um, pieces are water soluble and the outer pieces are fat soluble. And so the polar heads are on each side. They essentially like a cellular lipid bilayer, just like the cells of your body, right? And so when you take a polar lipid and you put it into a water, as a, for example, and stir it up, what happens is it actually disperses within the water. It's easily kind of absorbed into the water because it's both fat soluble and water soluble, right? But when you take something like a natural triglyceride oil, like most of what the fish oils and algae oils are out in the market, most of them are in the triglyceride, either a re-esterified triglyceride or a natural triglyceride form or an ethyl ester, all of those types of fats, if you were to mix it in water, would immediately beat up and float on the top. That's what you typically see from any oil and water, right? Oil and water don't mix. I think most people know this. But when you're dealing with a polar lipid, a phospholipid or a glycolipid, which are both polar lipids, they they integrate into the water because of their nature. And so this means that you have something that is a little more bioavailable, not just a little more, a lot more. It gets absorbed into your system much more quickly, so it'll get into your tissue more quickly. It can cross blood-brain barrier so that you don't have to worry about, like, let's say you are you don't have a very active gallbladder. You could foreseeably take a polar lipid without having a negative effect from that. And so it's interesting in that the same amount of bile isn't required to absorb it. So if your digestive system isn't optimized, then you'll you'll do much better on this style of a product. And are, are there some metrics there about, you know, um, X amount of polar lipid is equals the bioavailability of Y amount of, you know, regular fish oil? Yeah, there is actually. And so what we can demonstrate is that a polar lipid is roughly three times more absorbable than an omega-3 in its triglyceride or ethylester form. And if you're looking at something like a polar lipid that has both glycolipids and phospholipids present and even comparing it to krill oil, you're looking at about double the absorption. So when you- Why do I want both those things? Well, essentially, if you think about it, glycolipids is like glyco fats in a way, like sugar and fat together, like Mm. more absorbable by the body in a way. Um, And phospholipids um, is a phosphorus head on each side. Those are very, very absorbable as well. So you want them because they can get into your tissues more easily. And so you can realize the benefits of the omega-3s more easily. Um, And the argument is that with triple the absorption, you would really need a third of what you might need of the other omegas. You could take fewer capsules or smaller capsules. And so that's ultimately Hmm. we've worked to produce with Orlo Nutrition, the small capsules, like less than 500 milligrams a piece. 
So they're easy to swallow. You're not taking horse pills and you don't need a lot of it. So um, let's go to my favorite topic, my brain. And mm-hmm. um, so I want to, uh, if, if I'm sort of operating in um, this world of, of phospholipids and glycolipids, and I'm coming from my, you know, regular fish oil pills, and I'm, it, you know, the way I dose myself is I, I try to get like, you know, like I said, a gram and a half, two grams of DHA a day. Mm-hmm. So what's the equivalent there if I want to do this through phospholipid, glycolipid, algae-based? Yeah. So I take like a third or about a third. Okay. Yeah. So instead of taking, like I would, we have two formulas that we've worked to release at the very beginning. One is a prenatal DHA, but really could be taken by anybody. Right. And the other is an omega-3. The prenatal DHA delivers about 400 milligrams of EPA and DHA combined. Oh, um, right. And so, you know, take maybe four of those to get what you had been before. But then you're talking about small capsules, you know, two a day is what the dosage is, but, you know, you can always double up. I would just advise people not to go crazy when it comes to their omegas. They don't need to consume 20 of them. (laughs) (laughs) Where I might have in the past, like, may not be the best long term. Um, uh, So one of the things that we, you know, we discussed a little earlier was that although we as humans seem to need a lot of omega-3s. If everybody on the planet, um, you know, were eating enough omega-3s and they're getting from fish, there wouldn't be any more fish. Oh, yes. That's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. So you're looking at getting this. Why are you getting it from algae? That's where I'm going with this. Well, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but Fish get their omega-3 EPA and DHA from algae. Microalgae are the first species that even existed on this planet. And so they have the building blocks of life in a way that many multicellular creatures do not. And so if we think about what these simple single-cell organisms have, they have 19 essential amino acids. They have all this protein. They have omega-3s. They have phytonutrients. They have you know, vitamins in them and all this beautiful (laughs) uh, inclusion. They they were the building blocks of life, essentially. They were the first food on the planet, really. And when we look to the microalgae, we know a couple of things about them that make them really, really great. First, they don't have like a complex cellular structure, so it's easy to break them down, right? Um, We're able to isolate the omega-3s in them. We're able to isolate the proteins. This is like future potential of how they can be used. And the other phytonutrients, we can even use waste stream from algae to do things like print the ink that's on my t-shirt or on the box that we've created to ship our products in. So they're very usable. Like we can have lots of uses for the algae that we produce. Not only that, they grow at an exponential rate. And so given the right conditions, they will double themselves every couple of days. And so you can continually harvest them with minimal resources of land and water. We've been able to, with Vaxa Technologies, which is the company that owns Orlo Nutrition, um, the consumer-facing brand, actually grow the algae indoors and using a photobioreactor that provides them with the perfect light, a mix of blue and red light, which is this beautiful fuchsia color, right? Um, no UV because the UV burns the algae and optimized conditions, giving them just the right nutrition and see them thrive. 
So we're using AI to or artificial intelligence to optimize those conditions of growing. We're using only green energy. And we can scale as we continue to grow just by building another photobioreactor and continuing the process over and over, growing at this exponential rate. We can grow more than one species of microalgae. We can both produce the omega strains and then also do something like our spirulina product, right? So we are able to do so by reusing that water, that pristine water over and over again, not impacting marine ecosystems, not worrying about environmental contaminants or even infiltrating algae strains because it's a closed system as opposed to an open pond where it rains, you get amoebas, you get other algae strains, you get infiltration of environmental pollutants from the rain itself. And there's all sorts of things to consider. So we've been able to revolutionize something with this particular way of doing things because we are not impacting marine ecosystems because we are relying on the algae's natural ability to double itself. And because we are not having to worry about things like environmental issues or seasonality as we produce our products. But does, um, does a, a polar liquid, do you have rancidity problems with this? Cause I, I know with like fish oil, like the rancid thing is a huge issue. Yeah. I mean, sadly, this is a problem with most omegas just because Mm. of the nature of them. They are a little less stable. And in fact, uh, something that often surprises people is that even the vegetable oils that you would buy on the grocery shelves, they would naturally contain omega-3s at a higher rate if they hadn't been processed to remove them. Hmm. And the reason that they're processed is because they're less stable in Mm. this liquid form. Um, They also are much less stable under heat. So if Mm. you expose them to high heat, as with uh, an oil that you're going to fry with, it's going to go rancid much more quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're sensitive in that way to temperature, and they're sensitive to stability for that reason as well. In a polar lipid form, they're actually more stable because they they don't have um, the same, like, uh, you know, free pieces kind of floating about. with a triglyceride form, essentially, this is getting far too technical, probably for most people. But if you want to think about how we call something like a natural triglyceride form, right? When we are concentrating an omega-3 fish oil, what we're essentially doing is taking the natural triglycerides that exist in the fish. And it's typically, it's connected by a glycerol backbone. So there's a backbone that connects the three arms. You're going to like this because glycerol is also brain fuel. Okay. So you have EPA, DHA, and then another omega-3 typically in the third position. But usually DHA is in the second position. You might have EPA, DHA, and DPA in a single triglyceride, right? Um, DPA doesn't tend to be quantified because it's at a lower level in the omega-3s, but and DPA can also be an omega-6, so it's kind of confusing for people. At any rate, um, you've got this triglyceride. Now you need to concentrate it. So you essentially use an enzymatic process and heat to cleave off the three fatty acids from the glycerol backbone and you isolate the EPA or the DHA or whatever other omega-3s that you're trying to isolate because they each respond to temperatures at different levels. So high heat or whatever, they just isolate it based on how it responds, that molecular weight at that specific heat, concentrate it, and then use enzymes to put it back together. So that it will hopefully land back in the triglyceride form, right? But through this process, you end up with diglycerides and monoglycerides as well. 
which means that you've got the glycerol backbone and one fatty acid or a glycerol backbone and two fatty acids. And so you're not going to get 100% triglycerides through this process. You're going to end up with a mix of those three. This is so much work. It's a lot of work. It's so much work. It's a lot of work. But this is what visual manufacturers do in wow. order to make the finished product, right? Okay. And so then by the time that it ends up in a soft gel on um, the shelf in a, in a health food store, it also is going to a manufacturer who has to get it to the right temperature and then hopefully in a nitrogen and flushed environment where it's not exposed to oxygen, run through the encapsulation. But at every step along the way, there's a potential for oxidation. And because it's a little less um, stable than a polar lipid, it is more prone to oxidation. And most of the oils that are offered in the market will have conditions even on the specifications that say, keep frozen until you work with it. And, um, you know, the reality is they're saying that to cover their own tushes because they know that oxidation occurs when you, you know, have it exposed to any temperature. Um, and that, you know, of course, oxygen has to be present at the time. But when you do something like you open one of the barrels, you're exposing it to oxygen. There's no two ways around that. They're not going to be wearing, uh, you know, rebreather in a nitrogen flushed environment. That's not the way these things are processed. I guess we could get there, but it also seems overly complex and prone to error. Okay. So it's maybe too techie, too geeky, but <laughs> TMI. It's a, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to circle back to the advantage here of the algae. So we're not interacting with the marine environment. So there's no, yeah. no uh, microplastics, no worries about heavy metals, no worries about having to purify because it's, there's nothing to get into it in the first place. We still test it. I mean, you have to, right. you know. <laughs> um, and um, lower potential for rancidity. The mm -hmm. fish oil that I, I keep my fish oil in the fridge. Um, just that's just what I do. Yeah. Um, and I would say to anybody listening, that's a great way to ensure it stays fresher. Mm -hmm. But if you don't take it in and out of the fridge very much. So like I would just open it, take the capsules out, put it right back in the fridge because if yeah. you take it and you put it on the counter and you forget about it, ah. the soft gels will sweat just ah. by, just like your glass of water. If you had yeah. like a cold glass of water and you left right. it out on the counter, it will sweat. And, and so if the soft gels sweat, then they're going to be more likely to degrade along the seams or stick mm. together. So if you put it in the fridge, keep it in the fridge until you're done with it. Meaning you just open it, put it right back in, you know, take your daily dose. That's all fine, but be sure that you're not going to like leave it on the counter and then put it back and yeah, it just can create problems. Pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it in the fridge. <laughs> um, so um, your product, Orlo, mm -hmm. um, I'm not affiliated with Orlo. I've never taken your product. Um, I've, I just sort of like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, if somebody wants to connect with you and get your product, get an algae-based product, versus a fish-based product, mm -hmm. um, what would they do? Well, they can go to orlonutrition.com. That's where we are selling the product direct-to-consumer. I have a bottle right here. Um, we sell them in a beautiful glass bottle. This is actually Miron Violet Glass. And for anybody who knows about Miron Violet Glass, it is 
It has been clinically shown to keep a product more fresh and stable than other types of packaging because it's so dark, it's almost black. They call it violet glass, but you really have to hold it up to a bright light and be looking at the edge of it to see any blue or cobalt at all, right? And so it's just the fit and finish of it is really good. So you can screw that back on. I'm holding up the soft gels for you, but they're really small, right? Mm -hmm. This is the DHA product and I'll just take it now because I'm here talking to you and remembering to, but the product itself ships in a two month supply. The first time around you get the glass bottle. Every time after that, you just get the refills and um, it's essentially right around the $30 mark for one month supply. Um, But you know, people can get a subscription It'll auto ship every two months and that helps save on costs and shipping and all that jazz. And even the box itself is printed with algae ink um, because we're mindful of resources top to bottom. Um, All the materials are post-consumer recycled except for the violet glass, but which can be recycled when you're done with it. Um, So yeah, just work to make it top to bottom, the most sustainable omega-3. We say this on the packaging itself. Um, it's the world's most sustainable omega-3 and the world's first carbon negative omega-3. That's amazing. Um, I know that a lot of people that listen, you know, we're, we're big on people taking responsibility for their health and having agency in their health and their wellness, but also um, having agency with the world around them. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's something I'm super passionate about. I've I've spent the last... Gosh, you know, my whole life really being an advocate for the planet. And um, I feel like it's the unsung hero that we need to talk about more and more. And and it feels like people are just starting to really take hold of this concept and really trying to be um, stewards of a cradle to cradle perspective, like find a new life for something before you give it up as opposed to just living in a disposable way. But I see, you know, progress and then kind of swings back in a pretty continual way. Um, I, I mean, I was just at my in-laws over the hill this weekend for 4th of July and their local community has decided to replace all of their smaller garbage bins with much larger ones because the, the people in the neighborhoods were putting things that are not actually recyclable in the recycle bins. So the recycle bin was becoming garbage and the garbage can itself was, you know, perhaps things that could even be recycled in some cases. I mean, it's just sad to see the swing back, right? So a lot of us don't necessarily even understand what is recyclable in our own communities. And they start to throw things that would be trash into the recycle bin. It gums up the system. And it also gives you this perspective. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm recycling, right? I'm recycling this pizza box that's not recyclable. So I would just advise everyone to consider your waste and everything that leaves your home as garbage and really do like look at what's recyclable in your community, shift your buying patterns and and think about the footprint that you're leaving. Um, In the town that I live in, we have a recycling center and there are the plastics get, I think there are four different kinds of plastics and the different kinds of glass and the different kinds of metal and the different kinds of cardboard. And, um, so I go there every Saturday. I just, with my like bags of stuff and put it in there and I know the right thing's going to happen, but I didn't really, until I actually gone to the recycling center, understood that there's 
like some plastics are okay, some it's art and, you know, anyway, encourage well, everyone to do that. It's so for instance, like there's um, Tetra packs, a lot of people get their nut milks in. Those are only recyclable in a very small um, what's a, Wait, wait, what's a Tetra pack? Well, you think what's about that? it like the um, the shelf stable oat milk, almond milk, the things that you see at the counter where they have like a flip lid. They tend to be rectangular. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're sort of like plasticized cardboardy things. Yeah. A lot of them will say recyclable on them. And just because it has a chasing arrow symbol on it doesn't mean that your local municipality has the ability to No, my to people won't take it. Most of them don't. Yeah. And so it's basically garbage. Unless you yeah. decide that you're going to buy a box from TerraCycle, which, you know, you fill to the gills and then ship to TerraCycle and they figure out a way to recycle everything in mm-hmm. it, you know, it's essentially garbage. Yeah. So, I mean, we just need to be more mindful. And it would be nice if our local municipalities could handle all of the plastic trash that we create. But the reality is plastics are less and less of a recycled item simply because it, the returns on their investment aren't there yet. Yeah. Um, because it's every time a plastic is recycled, it's essentially downcycled. And after a while, it becomes virtually unusable. So that's why we've worked to limit plastics in our products as much as possible. The right. only plastic that touches our product is on the inside lining. Um, that's virgin. That's the only part that's virgin. And the reason you have to do that is because it's touching the food product. This is mm. FDA rules, right? So we use post-consumer recycled materials. We really work to make sure that we're as mindful as possible at Orlo Nutrition. But, you know, there's no perfect product. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. a reality, I think, that we all live with. Um, creating something that can be carbon negative is a feat. And if we, if every product that we produced out there could do that, then we'd be living in a really good world. The reality is for every one month supply, it's 110 fish not fished and 1.1 kilograms of carbon equivalent saved. And so if you, that might be like driving four miles in your car to, to go on your errands and do grocery shopping. But if every product was like that, if every product you consumed could be carbon negative, you know, the world we live in would be a much, much different place. Absolutely. I agree 100 percent. Karina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. That was super informative. Oh, thank you. Take care now. Take care. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the show today. It was great to have you with us. Big shout out to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Go to InsideTracker.com slash Aegis. Save 20 percent on all their products all of which I strongly recommend. Um, If you like the show today, hey, maybe share it with a friend. That's really the only way we grow. And that's, you know, strength in numbers, right? Um, And you can also leave us a comment on whatever platform that you are listening to this show. Um, Or if you'd like to contact me directly, david at superage.com. I'll answer your emails. Or again, that Google call in number 801-871-5291. Everyone have an awesome week. And we'll see you next week. Take care now.